Welcome to the Everyday Peacemaking Podcast. I'm Oshita Moore. And I'm Jer Swigert. Join us as we grow our imaginations for joining God and others in mending divides. Fear runs deep, spreading like a virus. Hate is cheap. From afar it costs you nothing. Sister, take my hand. Brother, we will stand. Open up. Well, friends, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. I don't know where you're at in the country or in the world, but where I'm sitting from my vantage point, it's cold and it's foggy and there's frost on trees. It kind of looks like a winter wonderland. And it reminds me that Advent is here. It's upon us. And Oshida, there are a few people in the world that I love to chat about these things, these deep oh. moments in our tradition, yeah. our Christian tradition. You're being one of them. And, you know, this Advent season, it's a liturgical season. It's in the church calendar. And it actually is a season set aside for us as Jesus people to participate in expectation, in anticipation. And yeah. it's an ancient experience of resonating with people of thousands of years ago who waited with expectation for God to do what God said God was going to do. And that was to enter into the space and begin to make wrong things right. Mm -hmm. And here we are a couple thousand years after that moment that ironically took place in Bethlehem, which of course is under siege at the moment and feeling an experience of anticipation and eagerness and urgency and despair, a longing for God again to make right that which is not yet right. And yeah. so we're entering into that season, the church calendar, and as Jesus people were entering into that, but we're also peacemakers. And we're yeah. thinking about Advent, not just a, as an ancient participation with other Christians globally, but a unique vantage point as peacemakers. And so that's the conversation you and I wanted to have today. Yeah. We want to invite you into it. And, and we also recognize that we're coming into this conversation from different vantage points and ex different experiences. And friends like all of you who are listening in, you're entering into Advent, like it or not. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and you're probably coming into it. Some of you backflipping and cartwheeling and some of you crawling, some of you laughing, some of you sobbing, and that's real. And so we want to talk about that from our perspective as peacemakers and maybe give us all some framing and some toeholds for how we might be able to experience this Advent as everyday peacemakers. So Oshida, yeah. Take us away. How are you coming into Advent? How are you thinking about it? I am coming into Advent very much like Mary after receiving the news that she will bear the Messiah. Hmm. In the sense of like, there's this beautiful line that says that she pondered. And I'm entering into Advent pondering a lot and holding things very close to my heart. And wanting to have a distinct experience with Jesus in that pondering, you mm. know? So it feels very intimate. It feels very private in a lot of ways. It feels very formative for me. Other years I've come into Advent and I've been very aware of injustice and I've been very aware of the darkness around me and how darkness is showing up in the world and like my work, my call to peacemaking has been to that regard. 
My call to peacemaking this Advent is to tend to some of the things that the Spirit is revealing to me about my lived experience right now as a woman pastor, as a Black woman, as a mother, as a person who's navigating neurodiversity. Like, I'm just pondering a lot. And in that pondering, there's some sadness that's coming up because I imagine I I have a kinship to, to Mary because I had when I got pregnant with my first, I was not supposed to be pregnant because it was before we got married. Hmm. And I feel this kinship with her of like tending to this thing that brings me such joy and curiosity and connection to myself, but like everyone around me not understanding it and not being able to process it with everyone around me in a way that feels good and hopeful. And I kind of feel like that about some things. So like one of the things I'm coming into Advent with is just a deep awareness that community looks different and feels different as a 40-year-old woman who's in ministry and who has moved around a lot and finally finally settled in St. Paul. It doesn't look like Christmas here. I did a couple of days ago with snow on the ground, but we're finally settled in, and now I'm asking, who are my people? Where do I belong? So that's just one of the things that I'm tending to, and I I'm okay sharing it on the podcast. Everybody's going to hear it. And I haven't really talked about it to the people in my community because I don't want them to feel like they've done anything wrong because I don't feel a sense of belonging. They haven't done anything wrong, but it is something that I'm experiencing. And that is an internal thing. I was learning from Brene Brown recently about belonging and realizing that is something that I need to ponder in my heart Mm. and invite the spirit in, have spiritual direction in literally an hour where I'm inviting my director to sit with me on that. So You know, one of the practices of Advent is we light candles every week. And in our family, we actually celebrate Advent with some Celtic tradition tied to it because my husband's Irish. And Mm. one of the things that we did was we changed our Advent wreath from like the traditional wreath to these little houses because there's a story of like visiting house to house that we read and we contemplate. And so when I light those candles, I imagine that my home, my body, my first home is a space where the spirit shows up. So that's kind of what I'm going to be entering into. And then also, I really love turning all the lights out and just lighting the candle and changing my perspective from Mm. the complete darkness, which is a metaphor for my loneliness, to these individual lights, which I imagine the spirit will remind me of the spaces and places where I do belong, in addition to belonging to myself and belonging to the spirit. So... Mm. That is how I am coming in to Advent. I love Very it. Very raw. And- as, as is always the case in our conversations, Ashita, you use words. But I'm like, <laughs> say more on that. Ponder being mm-hmm. the word. Yeah. Ponder what a unique verb for this time. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. ponder, it feels like there's a pace to that. There's a posture to that. You know, and, and it's couched in this bigger conversation for you, which sounds like some questions about belonging. If you feel connected to many that are asking some questions about belonging. And I'm even wondering, can you give us a little bit more on the posture and the pace of ponder for you and how that helps you establish or strengthen the sense of belonging to self and how that might fuel you as you're moving from connection to belonging with others? That's a really good question. I'm going to answer that as imperfectly as I can in this moment because I recognize I'll be a substantially different person on the other side of this Advent because I'm Mm -hmm. coming in. 
intentional about Ponder. I think the biggest thing about Ponder for me, the biggest gift that I want to receive from that word is a non-anxious presence and a non-anxious engagement with it. So I want to let the sadness sit and do its work and not rush past it. I want all the things that my spiritual director is going to ask me to walk through (laughs) here in an hour. I want every part of that pondering of belonging and identity and connection and community. As I'm sitting with it, I want to just really truly sit with it and not try to get past it and not try to have a goal of like, now I'm going to text five friends and we're going to become bosom friends and we're going to go on rich. Like, I think that has been my posture with building community for so long. It's such a hustle. So so driven by like, like, I know I have community because X, Y, Z. And I think the spirit wants me to say, you have community because of the being and the presence, the the gift of presence that people have brought into your life that you brought into their life, not necessarily because you don't have a book club you go to every week. And it feels so like, as I'm saying this, I feel like a 17-year-old girl or 13-year-old girl being like, I have no friends. Will you be my friends? Check yes or no. Like, but it's so strange because I, I do really feel that I'm not the only one who feels like they don't know how to build community in a way that feels life-giving to them, hopeful to them. And don't hear me say that I don't think you're my friend, Jared, because I just realized I'm saying this and you're like my friend and I love talking to you. <laughs> like I feel a sense of belonging in our friendship. And that's exactly what Ponder is asking me to do. Mm-hmm. It's to yeah. not discredit the yeah. light. Right. And I, I mean, I'm even in my experience of this, and I'm not saying this is true for you in the moment, but I know for me, there are in my fatigue and there are moments when I feel a particular way that the feeling of it actually is maybe a little bit of a mirage from what is real. So I'm yes. in the moment, I might feel like, wow, I'm connected to many belonging with few or do I belong with anybody? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden the fatigue and some of the other things want to begin to deceive me into being like, hey, you don't belong. You're alone and things yeah. like that. So th- thus the the power of the ponder for the everyday peacemaker, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, is a return, it, it, that posture of pondering maybe helps us get in touch again with the truths that that I belong to God, I belong to self, I have meaningful relationships, I belong. And I think this yes. is a, especially an important conversation for we as peacemakers, because this is lonely work. It tends to be lonely work. Yes. You know, so like I even resonate with some of what you're saying around Mary. Like you think about the loneliness that inevitably came with the burden of the Christ yeah. within her. And you know, I think we see in Jesus while he built community, there were times where you, I think you see some pretty significant loneliness. I think as you read the biographies and the stories and the journals of the peacemakers from the Kings and the Mother Teresa's and the Gandhi's to more contemporary freedom fighters, mm-hmm. we're all wrestling with bouts of loneliness. And I wonder if that's maybe even, does that come with the territory of doing the work of peacemaking? Mm-hmm. Does that then elevate the importance of the ponder, that posture and that practice of pondering? And does it emphasize for us the need to ensure that we are in mutually reciprocal life-giving relationships where we can let our hair down? And I know that I can return in these moments of wonder and mm-hmm. ponder. I know that I can take my shoes off and let my hair down with these people because with them, I belong. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I... 
I text our mutual friend, Lynn, who I got to know through Journey of Hope in two different ways as a fellow, as a cohort member, and then as our program guide. And yesterday, as I was pondering this with my husband, I text her and I was like, I'm just sitting in this space. And she wrote me back this beautiful prayer. And that was an example of the spirit saying, here's a light, here's a light in your darkness. And so that's why I love Journey of Hope and the community that we build around that. Because I, that is one space that I can let my hair down as a peacemaker and tend to that mm-hmm. distinct loneliness that we all share, even though we show up as peacemakers in a variety of different contexts. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, thank you. And thank yeah. you for holding the space. I mean, I feel like I, I could have only brought this to you because of our distinct friendship. Oh so. my gosh. Well, like it or not, we belong to each other, my friend. We do. <laughs> okay. So how are you coming into Advent? You know, I, I mean... I I was I was in a room on Monday night and with undergrad students at Whitworth University here in Spokane. Mm-hmm. I was there to talk about the role that American Christianity has played in the crisis that's unfolding right now in Israel and Gaza historically throughout time and you know at least throughout the last 75 years. And you know me, like I, I am an undying optimist and I have a lot of passion and I have a lot of energy. And when I get to, especially when I get to work with folk and awaken people's imaginations to a better story, you know, I'm just like, yeah, let's go. Like the journey of, of liberation from a religion that dominates to a faith that restores is exhilarating. It like yeah. lights me on fire, you know? Yeah. And there's the student in the back of the room and uh, she kept smiling and kind of shaking her head. And she was a woman of color. And, and so eventually she, and she wasn't really participating vocally in the conversation at least. And so I just eventually, when I felt like there was enough rapport in the room, I just pointed at her. I'm like, Hey, can I just ask, what are you thinking? Cause I see you, I see you smiling and shaking your head. And she goes, I don't know what, what's the deal with you Americans and all of your hope and optimism. Oh my gosh. And, which is such a good question. Yes. And, and I, I mean, in different places around the world, I've heard that question from folk like you Americans, you're so idealistic and you're, you're so optimistic and you have so much hope. And I think that has, especially for dominant culture, U.S. Americans, I think that has something to do with our proximity to power and just the privilege that says it's all going to work out. Yeah. Okay. For us, you know, and then that, at least that's the myth that we've been permitted to live in for a long time. So it probably shapes the way that many of us live with such an idealism, but also my disposition is just, I'm an optimist. But but I found myself in that moment struck by, struck by the notion that she experienced my passion as optimism. And mm. because as I was sitting in that classroom, despair would be probably a better description for how I was feeling. And we, we ended up having a conversation about how in this particular moment in time, I, I'm finding hope hard to grasp and to see. And I feel a sense of deep urgency. I feel desperate and, and despair. Like I oscillate between despair and discouragement. I think mm. not even despair and optimism. And that's just where, where I, I'm at. That's how I'm entering into Advent. And, and therefore, as I consider this season, I feel a sense of resonance with this, this ancient moment where 
communities of people have felt desperation and have been wondering, God, are you real? God, these promises that you've made about remaking the world and restoring what's broken, it feels like violence is winning right now. It feels like darkness actually has the upper hand. So I feel this resonance with the yearning of people throughout time who were waiting for God to make good on God's promise. And now on the on the opposite side of the cross and the empty tomb, as, as we hold on to by faith as followers of Jesus, you know, I'm looking at the last 2000 years going like I can, I resonate with folks who are like, God, was that real? Mm. Did, did that really work? Are you really remaking the world? I mean, you know, Jesus is quoted in Revelation 21 as saying, behold, I am making all things new. Not I made all things new right? on the cross through the grave. Not I will make in this moment of return. I am making all things new. And I'm like, I live, I, I, I spend my life believing that that quote might be true yeah. and that that God is making all things new and that we get to be a part of it, but it sure doesn't feel like it at the moment, you know? Right. And so, yeah, I feel that really deeply right now. And, but here's how I'm wrestling with it, I guess, you know, I'm returning to the story and I'm, I'm wrestling with the notion because I even feel inertia in myself as a peacemaker to be like, man, I'm not sure that self-sacrifice is the way forward. Oh. I wonder I wonder if we actually need to figure out how to build power and replace existing powers with a new better power. Right. But historically as you watch that unfold, the new better power just becomes the next dictatorship. <laughs> you know, yes. so like I I don't think that replacing power with power is the answer and I and so therefore I look at the advent I look at the anticipation and the longing and I look then at the actual Christmas moment. I'm like, ah, because it was never about power. It was always ever about powerlessness. Right. And it was never, the world was going to be remade, not through violence, but through vulnerability. Right. And, mm -hmm. and the story that people were waiting for, they were waiting for an overthrow. And what they got was a new way of restorative life, love, and leadership that overtook the system from within. And it was yeah. contagious and it was viral and it resembled enemy love rather than enemy elimination. It was yeah. all of the unthinkable things, you know? And so I, that, that's how I, I guess I'm entering in with the despair, like naming the reality that there's an inertia that has been baked into my bones that says what we need to do is we need to build more power. And then I look at the Advent story and I'm like, oh, that's what everybody else thought too. And then when God entered the story, God did so vulnerably. God did so, yeah, in a way that embodied powerlessness. I yeah. mean, an infant, you know, is the epitome of vulnerability, but understanding as well that if the world was truly going to be remade, God needed to enter in flesh yeah. and sacrifice God's self. And, that, and so like, it's reminding me as well, even in this conversation, like I feel, I feel an ember flicker to flame, even in remembering the story and what it's actually about. And so, right. I don't know, that, that's, that's how okay. I'm entering in. So, okay. I'm going to tell a story that has a point, okay? In response to what you said. So at Roots, our church, there's a moment in our service as we are 
welcoming everyone in, where we ask the children to light the candles because the children are our teachers as much as we are theirs, okay? And they feel the character of God to us in a distinctly beautiful way. And so the candle reminds us God's in our midst, so our children are the ones that usher that in. So that's a little spiel that I give every Sunday. And part and parcel with that, we do the kids' sermon in front of the congregation, and I let the kids say back to me what they're hearing me say, like, like I'm teaching them, and then what are they teaching us back from what they're hearing? So it's, it's a very intentional part of our worship gathering. Some people have wanted us to get rid of that because it makes the service a little bit longer than they want. But, you know, we learn from our children, just like we learn from the Christ child. So this Sunday, I was trying to think about how to teach the kids Advent in a way that was fresh on their minds because I just wanted a different way of teaching Advent. And on the fly, I was sitting with them and I was like doing what we have done in all of our conversations this week after Thanksgiving. What did you do on Thanksgiving? Like, tell me about what happened. And some of the kids were like, well, I watched my mom cook. And I was like, oh, your mom prepared a meal for you. And I was, and they were like, yeah. And then somebody was like, yeah, but you know, we didn't eat until later on. You know, my mom was cooking all day long. I was like, oh, you were waiting. You were, you were waiting for that meal. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, but you woke up that morning like you knew you were going to have turkey and mashed potatoes and your favorite rolls. They're like, yeah, yeah. I was like, you expected, like there is expectation. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, that's, a, that's, that's, that's the heart of Advent. That's what the spirit is inviting us to do. And in this time that feels like a lot of things are, and I was like, a lot of things are scary for a lot of people. But the beauty of the Advent story is that we have an expectation mm-hmm. of restoration. And we are preparing ourselves for that restoration, but we have to wait on that restoration. And as you are talking about just kind of where you're sitting with this despair and this hope and this optimism and the inertia, like I just sense the spirit is saying like, Jer, I'm inviting you to prepare. You already have the expectation that eternal optimism like brings you that expectation. I'm inviting you to prepare and to wait mm. because restoration is coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. yeah. Thank you. And I, and I think what that awakens in me, Oshida, is is like I think in my maybe in my despair, yet also in my probably some of my own arrogance. I've got an idea of what God's restoration is going to look like, mm. and the release in this moment that I have to probably give myself into is like God's restoration has never been what anybody expected and it has never gone the way that anybody anticipated. And so in this Advent season, perhaps I just need to name those things and wait with expectation and waiting for me doesn't look like sitting by twiddling my thumbs. No. I think waiting for me probably includes some of what I heard in you in terms of there's some pondering that I need to do. And part of that pondering is probably some confession around like, God, I want you to fix things this way on this timeline and release some of that, recognizing again that when God does what God does, it is wildly unconventional and, and only ever the thing that has changed the world. So I guess the great mystery and opportunity and adventure is that God has ever always included us in that. 
you know? And so God has never snapped God's fingers. In this case, Advent, God entered the story. And I'm eager to see, especially as we move toward a 2024 as peacemakers, the chances are that the world may get darker before it gets brighter. And God is inviting us as peacemakers to be a part of that restoration. And and it does us well to ponder and to understand, discern very carefully what what the invitation is that God's giving us to deploy our resources and our tools in the direction of repair. Right. And for us to be about the work of of preparing and being expectant, expectant for Shalom. For me as a peacemaker, I'm so, so good at looking at the dark. I'm so, so good at looking at what's not working because I have a vision for what should work, you know, living towards a vision like Brueggemann, right? But I think that that expectation, expectation of goodness is important. And I am sitting in awe of the intelligence of the spirit, the savviness of the spirit to enter into both of our distinctly different personalities and experiences and perspectives and invite us into this time of Advent. I'm so incredibly curious how our community of everyday peacemakers are entering into Advent. I just would love to hear how and see how others are showing up because we learn from each other. But to that end, I wanted to close our time with just a prayer and an invitation to embrace Advent from our specific spaces and our specific locations and remind ourselves that as we are moving into this season of darkness, that we can light the candles and that as we light the candles, maybe there's something that can spark within us, kind of like how you said there's an ember within you. Howard Thurman, in his work called Mood of Christmas, has this prayer called, I will light the candles this Christmas. So I'm just going to close us with that blessing, Jer, and bless everybody to light the candles this Christmas. So I will light the candles this Christmas, candles of joy despite all sadness, candles of hope where despair keeps watch, candles of courage for fears ever present, candles of peace for tempest-tossed days, candles of grace to ease heavy burdens, candles of love to inspire all my living, candles that will burn all year long. May you light the candles wherever you are. Amen. It's been our joy over the past couple of months to host our virtual immersion. These are live conversations with Israeli and Palestinian peacemakers who are embedded in the trenches of this war. They've been visceral and vulnerable in their own voices, and they've been laced with both hope and despair. These conversations are not for our consumption, but for our transformation. We've got a couple of more coming this month, and we hope that you tune in. If you've missed any of these, I urge you to listen in on our podcast channel here or find Global Immersion on Instagram. Friends, join me in listening longer than feels comfortable and allowing ourselves to be changed by what we've heard. Global Immersion is a nonprofit peacemaking training organization. We're able to do our work because of the courageous generosity of people just like you. 
When you invest in peace, you make it possible for our team to be intentional in the ways we forge conflict-competent leaders and form communities of everyday peacemakers all across the country. Your giving enables us to be agile and exponential in our responses to crises like the violence in Israel-Gaza and the ideological divides in the United States. When you give to Global Immersion, you grow our capacity to companion American Christians in our journey from a religion that dominates to a faith that restores. And with a daunting election year coming, you are helping us form the peacemakers who are disarming violence, bridging difference, and forging uncommon friendships. Join our funding team. Invest in peace. Find us at globalimmerse.org. Sincere thanks to The Brilliance for use of their song, Turning Over Tables. Learn more about the work of Global Immersion, forming everyday peacemakers and reconciling leaders to mend divides at globalimmerse.org.